Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. some awesome pictures and stories from our time spent there and hopefully y'all can see a glimpse of the amazing relationships that were made and the incredible things that God is doing there. So God calls us to go out into the nations and spread the good news of great joy. During my time in Peru, I was able to experience God's kingdom being expanded. I saw a part of what it means to live cross-culturally and I saw a glimpse of what church planting among the least reach involves. My eyes were open to the challenges of being a long-term missionary, and my personal relationship with God has a whole new meaning to me. God revealed himself to me through the people I met in Peru, and he showed me that I needed to give up control over my life. He broke lies that I'd been believing about myself for years, and he taught me how to listen to his voice. So although my life was completely changed on this trip, it's evident that God is changing Peruvian lives as well. So I went with a team of five girls from Tabor, and we were hosted by Joanna Chapa and Stacey Coons, who are missionaries in Puta, Peru. So up there you can see where Peru is on the left side, and then you can see where Puta is, which is where we stayed for our missions trip. Okay, so um, before we departed for Peru, we had a week of training at Tabor, and we talked about how to hear the voice of God, We talked about the culture in Peru, ways to effectively build relationships with the people there, and how to communicate with a language barrier, and also how to work together as a team. So during this training session, God was already working in my heart, and the week was life-changing in itself. My favorite part about training was when we all spoke words of encouragement to one another. One person would sit in the middle, and we would take a few minutes to pray and ask God what he wanted to tell the person sitting in the middle. So we called the person sitting in the middle, we called the seat the hot seat. So um, when it was my turn in the hot seat, um, each person felt like God told them to tell me that my story isn't finished or that um, I'm being made new or something along those lines. So that was just really, really powerful to hear that unanimous from everybody in the room. So yeah, that was awesome. So in the top left, that's my team that I went with. The bottom left, that is a bunch of the girls that we were with most of the trip, and the two missionaries are in there too. And then on the right, that is our team, and then the two missionaries, Stacy and Joanna. So when we arrived in Peru, we were able to meet Stacy and Joanna and the people we were staying with. We stayed in the church building for the first week, and you can see the top left, that's the church building. It's not much, but the people, they are the most joyful people ever there. So it was really awesome to just be in that environment and see how um, joyful those people were. Um, Jose, he's the one in the bottom left. He's one of the people living at the church and with his family. And he's 11, I think, or 13. He's 13, and he's just the cutest little boy. And then on the right, that's all of us fellowshipping together. Um, I think that was the first day. And um, we got to meet everybody that day. So, yeah, it was just awesome. 
So um, during the first few days, we had some training sessions with Stacy and Joanna, which involved learning how to build relationships and to do life with the people around us in Peru. We also went over our team goals, and some of these goals were to be an encouragement to Stacy and Joanna, to show love and build relationship to the people we came in contact with, and to learn and grow in our relationship with Christ, and to dive in and learn about the Peruvian culture, and to walk alongside the people living in Peru. So right away, we had an opportunity to build relationships with people. We went to a little girl's birthday party named Jenny. Jenny's on the left in that picture. And we were able to enjoy each other's company and learn a little bit more about the people in Peru. Jenny and her family actually lived in a stick house in the desert. And so that was very humbling, incredible to see how joyful and selfless those people were. Um, it was, yeah, it was just something else. So they were just very kind and it was awesome. So you can see on the right, there's our group with Jenny at her birthday party. And something that's funny is in Peru, um, time doesn't really matter. So here, we're always on a schedule in Peru. Um, the birthday party was supposed to start at 3, didn't start till 6. And people are just there, just communi like uh, conversing with each other. And so it's not about schedule, it's about building relationships there. So. That's something that I brought back to here. It's, it's not about getting places on time, it's about the people you meet, the people you build relationships with. So that's, yeah, something interesting. So one of the activities that we were able to help with in Peru was a Bible school for moms and their children in the town of Catacaus. We worshiped together, did crafts together, played with the children and listened to messages about the Lord. We were able to see how giving encouragement to these moms gave them joy and hope. We were able to see how God is working in their lives, and the kids were able to learn about Jesus and experience love from those around them. So the top left is a bunch of the moms in the uh, main room, and we did, we, uh, I forget what it's called, but we made a pillow and um, with yarn and stuff, so that was fun. And then in the bottom left, you can see us playing with the kids and reading to them and just, yeah, showing them love. And then there's some people that we met in Peru, and they were awesome. Um, it was super cool to be, be a part of this Bible school because we were able to get a glimpse of Stacy and Joanna's everyday lives. They live to build relationships, to walk alongside people, to love them, and to share the hope of Jesus with others. So now you can see in these pictures of us washing our clothes by hand, which is what a lot of people in Cuda do. It was humbling to do this, and it allowed me to realize that the people in Peru who have a relationship with Christ and who put their hope in him don't need material things to make them happy. It was so evident that they were filled with his joy, and they rely on Jesus alone. And let me tell you, it's not easy washing my clothes like this. It took pretty much all day, so, but it was a lot of fun. I just can't imagine doing that every week for my whole family. <laughs> um, another event we were able to help with was the MV Conference Assembly. So MV pa pastors from around CUDA would come together to discuss the future, changes needed, and things that worked in the past. Our team was able to help with childcare, and we prayed for the pastors. During this time, we were able to see that these churches needed a lot of healing. They had been through some hard things in the past, so it was amazing to see how much the Lord had already helped them heal but prayers for continued healing would be much appreciated. 
At one point, I remember it becoming pretty tense in the meeting room. Um, people were arguing, nothing was going in the direction they wanted it to go. So our team stood outside the church building and um, just prayed for the pastors in there. And pretty much soon after we prayed, the tension went away and um, they started working well again together. So that was really cool to see how God was working in that meeting. And you can see there, we're at the top left, we were able to actually sing in that church in the evening. And um, we sang Waymaker in Spanish, so that was really fun to do. And then the bottom left, we're coloring with the kids. And then that's the church fellowship hall, or the sanctuary. That's their sanctuary in there. And those are all the pastors gathered together. Okay, so one of the Sundays we were able to host a Sunday school for the children. We danced, sang, we danced and sang and told them the story of Noah and the Ark, and we had a craft. Um, the reason that we chose to tell, tell the story of Noah and the Ark is because recently the town that we were in had been flooded, and much of the town had been destroyed, and it caused a lot of trauma and pain for the people. So we wanted to remind them that God is healer, and he restores all things broken. And seeing God work in these children that morning was pretty amazing. And this should be a video, Zach, I don't know. Well, the video, we were just dancing, but <laughs> I don't know if you'll play. That's fine. But here's some more pictures of us with the kiddos. And yeah, they had a whole lot of fun. We made little animals out of styrofoam cups. So yeah, it was pretty cool to see how God was working in their hearts and just spreading joy there and building relationships with the children. So in the middle of our time in Peru, we went on a beach retreat with the five girls on the team, Stacy, Joanna, and two of the girls that were living with Stacy and Joanna named Gisela and Rose. Um, at this retreat is where I experienced the Holy Spirit the most I'd ever had in my life. There was a lot of healing done in my heart and in the girls' hearts. We were able to share our testimonies and comfort each other and pray for one another. Um, we grew as a team, grew closer to the girls we had met there, and it was just an incredible life-changing experience, feeling so close to the Lord and seeing him work in our lives. At one point, we did a silent retreat, and looking out at the ocean, I just felt God tell me that his love for me is far greater than the ocean. And that simple statement for me was just huge because just hearing that myself and experiencing that myself it's just very, very powerful, so. Oh. Okay, so top is Jess, Gisela, Rose, Joanna, um, the middle, Kate, Alyssa, me, Stacy, and then there's all of us at the beach. So that was, yeah, that was probably one of my favorite parts of the whole trip was the beach. Okay, so after the beach retreat, we went back to the town of Catacaus, and we toured the town a little bit, and we were able to see the main church building there. Um, a lot of the people in Peru are Catholic, but a lot of the Catholicism there has hints of other spiritual influences and not from the Holy Spirit. So it was crazy, because as soon as we walked into the church building, we could feel the heaviness of the reality inside, um, just felt gross and sick. So. If you want to know more about this, feel free to ask me questions about it later. Um, but this is a major thing that some of the Peruvians who aren't followers of Christ struggle with. So prayer for their eyes to be opened 
to the truth would be much appreciated. You can see these are statues. They have they had like a bunch of different um, statues throughout the whole church, and um, none of them were from the Bible. So, yeah, it was just pretty interesting to see what they believed in and the things that they were involved in and the heaviness of it. Um, but then, one of the things that the Miraflores Church does, and this is the church that Stacey and Joanna attend and disciple, it's called Miraflores. They have a weekly prayer night, um, which our team was able to participate in. The joy in these people, the way they worship freely, the love and support that they have for one another is absolutely amazing. Um, a man in the church and I were able to pray for each other, and it was such a unique opportunity to pray with somebody who speaks a different language than myself. Even though we couldn't always understand each other, God definitely moved in both of our hearts that evening. Um, so there's us praying together, and it was cool because we would try and talk to each other, and like he would try and talk in English, I'd talk in Spanish, and we shared our favorite scriptures with each other and scriptures that we felt God wanted to share with the other person. So yeah, it was just, it was pretty cool. Um, so the last event that we helped with was a retreat for young girls. It was held in Stacy and Joanna's house, and it was called the Retiro Casa Caminata, which means walking together. So the goal of this treat was obviously to walk together, build relationships with one another, um, show love to the girls. And it was amazing to see how throughout the event, the girls began to open up to us and to one another. We did devotions together, and that was one of my favorite parts because um, we would do it in Spanish and English, so we would have translators and just be able to share God's word with each other in, different, in a different language, so it was cool. About 40 women were just doing life together, enjoying each other in Jesus' presence. Um, worshiping in Spanish with all of these women was so powerful. It was amazing just praising our great God together and nothing else mattered. So we also did a foot washing and during this we said an encouraging word or phrase and it was so special doing this with one another too. That was probably another one of my favorite things we did at this retreat. There you can see the foot washing, girls. We played water games. <laughs> that was fun. So this missions trip to Peru showed me how the Lord is working in all parts of the world. Peru and the people I met in Peru now hold a very special place in my heart. Thank you all so much for your support and your prayers. Um, continue praying for the people of Peru. God is really doing amazing things there. Um, so feel free to ask me any questions after the service if you want to know more. Thanks. Thank you, Taylor. Let me uh, read some scripture for you this morning. Fine. Um, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority. Two different words, very important. Uh, just kind of keep an eye on the, on the distinction between those two words throughout Scripture. Uh, he gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics in whatever house you enter. Stay there 
from there depart and whatever they they do not receive you when you leave from that town shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them and they departed and went through the village preaching uh, the gospel and healing everywhere so jesus takes his 12 kind of immediate uh, closest followers the the apostles the, the 12 disciples and he, he he's going to do some ministry in a region so first he breaks them up into teams two by two and they're supposed to go ahead uh to the different towns where he's about to go and prepare the way so to speak uh in matthew 10 we get a fuller picture of that story i'll read this this for you uh, and he called to them his 12 disciples he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out heal every disease and affliction uh, and then it gives us the names of the 12 and then starting in verse 5 he gives them some instructions he says go nowhere among the gentiles and enter no town of the samaritans but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So um, for this particular uh, kind of ministry season, he's wanting to focus in just in on the Jewish people. Ministry to the Gentiles, to the Samaritans, that's going to come later on. But for now, he, he's, he's wanting to just focus in on the Jewish people. Um, and as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, and cast out demons. You receive without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find who is worthy in it, stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace rest upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. When you leave the house or town, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So in both the accounts of Matthew and Luke, when, when they're recording and, and reporting on the life of Jesus, in their accounts they share a time where Jesus, kind of partway through his ministry, sends out the twelve disciples or the twelve apostles, and it's a very distinct event. I mean, we get two accounts of it, like, like this is a very notable experience. If you go back to um, uh, the book of Luke, um, so, you know, earlier that was chapter 9. In chapter 10, in addition to the 12, he actually sends out 72 others. And we know nothing about them. We don't know their names. We don't, like, we get nothing. It's just that there were 72 others. And again, he partners them up, and he sends them ahead. And they get these instructions. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others... And sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to him, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of the wolves. And then very similar instructions. Uh, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Very culturally unusual. Uh, greet no one on the road whatever house you enter first say peace to this house and if a son of peace is there your peace will rest on him but if not it will return to you remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages do not go from house to house whenever you enter a town and they receive you um, eat what is set before you heal the sick and say to them the kingdom of god has come near to you but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. 
Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And so there's kind of this urgency. They're supposed to go town to town, enter a town. If there's opportunity to share, share. If there's not, move on. Like we've, got, we've got other towns to, to cover. And so pretty similar instructions are given for both the, the 12 and the 72. Um, these events happen midway, you know, in Jesus' ministry. Um, and, and as much as they were ministry events uh, for, you know, for the recipients, I, you can also see in the story and in some of the surrounding passages that these were also critical events for the training, for the equipping, and for the faith-building of the 12 apostles, of the 12 disciples. And in fact, this training was of such value that, that 72 others do the exact same thing. Jesus uses a short-term missions trip in the training and the equipping of the 12. I mean, if you break down its structure and you look at how it was set up and kind of that kind of thing, Jesus uses a short-term missions trip in the training and the instruction of the 12. And in fact, it was so beneficial or worthwhile that he actually used it in the training and the instruction of 72 others. We don't even get their names, but for 72 others as well. These experiences are, are marked by being commissioned with authority, by being commissioned with power, two different things, we could spend lots of time on that, and also very clear instructions that they are to pro proclaim the kingdom of God, that they are to heal the sick, and they are to cast out demons. Those are kind of the, the three key things in it. And in fact, and you know, actually later on, uh, in Luke chapter 10, the 72 return, and Jesus has a short little, or it, it's recorded as a short kind of reflection, debrief, teaching time on their experience, because they come back and they're amazed and all the stuff that has happened, and you know, even the demons submitted to us, and they're just wowed by it, and, and Jesus, and the whole thing's very fascinating, and Jesus kind of calms them down and then just directs them back to say, your salvation is actually the greatest miracle of all. And, and he directs them that way. One thing also that I would point out on this is that, you know, for their short-term mission experience, Jesus gives them very specific instructions um, on, on what they're to do, um, but also very sp specific instructions on what they're not to bring. You probably noticed that there was a lot of, you know, don't take anything else, don't take for the, you know, no extra stuff, travel light, leave all, all that behind. And one of the reasons uh, was to build their faith, because later on, in the upper room, so this is the Last Supper with Jesus, I mean, that night Jesus is betrayed and then crucified, and Jesus basically is commissioning them for long-term missionary work, and he gives them new instructions that, that counter or contradict these instructions. So if you look forward to Luke 22, verse 35, you see, And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandal, did you lack anything? They said nothing, right? So he's referring to this experience. He says, when, I, when, I, when we had that experience and I sent you out with nothing, did you lack anything? And they said, no, like we, everything was provided. And then he gives them new instructions. And he, uh, verse 36, he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. And then as we watch the story, we see that Jesus is, uh, you know, crucified that very night. And then they basically begin 
their lifetime of, of ministry and missions work from that point. And so you see kind of different structure and different instructions for the short-term mission experience, I'm going to keep calling it that, versus when they enter into long-term mis- uh, ministry. But the, those important lessons of faith, of seeing God provide for all your needs, those were lessons that needed to, to be learned on the short-term missions experience that happened. So I would put this before you. I would say that a, a well-planned, properly structured, short-term mission trip is of great value and maybe, maybe even of critical importance in a person's spiritual journey. Jesus saw enough benefit to this that he incorporated incorporated it in the training of the 12 and then also incorporated it in the training of the 72. Little definition on terms. Um, today, we would actually define short-term. Some define it differently. Some would say anything under two years. Some would say anything under three years. So when we talk short-term, we're not talking like just weekend stuff. Like this is anything up to two, up to three years. And actually by those definitions, some have argued that all of Paul's missionary trips were short-term mission trips um, just because very few went beyond three years. The travel industry has opened up pretty much every corner of the world to us. There really isn't much that's not available to you and I in regards to access around the world. We really don't have much for excuses when it comes to to participating in some kind of short-term mission experience. And that would include age, right? We, um, so at Multiply, uh, one of the short-term mission programs was called DMI, Disciple Making International. It was, it's a two-week evangelism trip, uh, primarily focused at recruiting retirees to go on these trips. So you get a day of orientation, you get in country, you partner with uh, a local person, and then you go, to go, go door-to-door to talk about Jesus. In some countries, meh, not so well-received. In other countries, smash hits absolutely just knocking it out of the park uh, just culturally just kind of where things are at for, for those people it works incredibly well one year we were kind of we found it very amusing because leadership was approached by the 90 year old he wasn't sure the 80 year old was going to be able to keep up okay so if you're mobile and you love Jesus then you're qualified all right pretty simple uh criteria. We also, you know, and when I was at, at MB Mission at Multiply, we always use very intentional terminology around short-term missions, and that we often use the phrase discipleship in missions. Now, with missions, obviously, there a very important component is the recipient and who you are doing ministry to. That's very critical. You can't lose focus of that. But in a lot of these short-term missions, and and even what we see with the 12, is that part of our own spiritual discipleship process happens, can happen, within the context of a short-term missions trip, right? The the, the missions experience is seen as an opportunity for you to grow in your faith, and just like when Jesus sent out the the 12 and the 72. So here's here's what I'm getting at, if you haven't picked up on, on this, and that is that all of us, at some point, should participate in a well-run, properly structured short-term mission trip. 
And I always say just well-run and properly structured because some people do it wrong, and that's a whole other conversation. If you want to get into that, we, we can get into it. Some people do it wrong, and then some people do it right. But you can do these single. You can do them as a couple. You can do them as a family. You can do them as retiree. Remember? Mobile and love Jesus. These are the requirements. One of the things that um, I loved in, in Taylor's story and that, and I'm, I'm still not quite the, the best word for it, and Zach, you can go ahead and, and start pulling up that slideshow, but is the, um, like the layers or the uh, trajectory or the kind of the interconnectedness of the different people that are involved in this and how it kind of, it's not just that it ties together, but, but there's this tran trajectory that, that transcends any one individual. Right? And just the, the impact of intentionally engaging in ministry and discipleship, whether locally or internationally, it often has a, ri a ripple effect or a domino effect that just goes far beyond our, our understanding. So, um, first picture, all right, uh, Heidi Queering right there, second one on the left. Many of you know Heidi, uh, grew up in this church. Um, Heidi was involved in both the training and the setup of Taylor's uh, short-term mission experience, right? She didn't go, but but she helped train and organize and set it up. Heidi grew up in this church. Many of you know her. Many of you probably had a spiritual impact on her life. A few years later, Heidi comes to Abbotsford. She does the Trek program. She uh, gets assigned to a team to Portugal, so that's where we're at. I got to visit them in, in Portugal, and uh, so spent some time there. Um, and then, you know, eventually she ends up in Peru, for several years, and now she's training Taylor and setting up her short-term mission trip, okay? Next slide. Uh, Taylor served under and was mentored by Joanna Chapa and Stacy Coons in Peru, and one of the first places where I met them was Source South Texas, so here you can see our, our planning team. Uh, Joanna is the one in the white shirt, and then Stacy is the one in the, the black shirt, and so we got to, to work together there in, in Source South Texas. You can go to the next one, Joanna was involved in, in leading worship. Um, she's the one kind of there on the left. Uh, if you go to the next one, um, this is, uh, it's either a half or a third. Like we had, there were so many people and we had such a small space that we had to eat in fifths. And so one group would come in and then they'd eat and then we'd kick them out and then the next group and it was kind of a logistical challenge. And whenever we had a whole group, we could never do chairs just because there was, there was never any room. Uh, next picture. So then a few years later, Joanna goes on trek. She's the second one on the right. Um, even though she is fluent in Spanish and we have a team going to South America, we really feel like she needs to lead the team to Japan. And there's kind of some other kind of stuff that, that comes out about that. But she leads the team to Japan, does a great job. On the next picture, you can actually see her team in Japan there. Um, and then next picture, um, so this is from Taylor. There's Joanna right there on the left again. And now Joanne and Stacy are mentoring and leading Taylor. And so next picture, and so then the question then, of course, is just what does Taylor's trajectory hold and who will she mentor and who will she influence and how does this story continue to, to, to get carried forward? Thanks, you can turn off the pictures now. Uh, Garvey Schmidt, many of you will recognize that name. He was a pastor here for many years. Uh, before we came. First time I met Garvey and Diane, they came to Abbotsford for Heidi's commissioning service. 
Uh, I don't remember much, but I do remember standing in, in the driveway of the Mark Center and, and meeting them, having a, a short conversation, and, and that's that was about it. And didn't really think much of it. And while maybe in some small way they, they benefited from my influence in Heidi's life, I, I would say, though, and I, I never would have guessed that I would then one day pastor the church that he pastored and that I would actually benefit from his ministry and the foundations that he laid here years before I came. And, and, and I love how these stories overlap and their trajectory and, and their interconnectedness and how they really go beyond the individual and spread wider than the individual. Every Sunday you are blessed by some pro seminary professor who you've never met because he taught me well. Every Sunday you are, you are blessed or impacted by some elementary school teacher who has long since passed away because I found them inspiring. Right? Uh, um, you, to the ex you, know, you are blessed by some high school camp counselor who I don't even remember their name because they inspired me in my faith. And to the extent that these people contributed to my spiritual journey is the extent to which now you reap the benefits because how it affected me as your pastor. And in every one of those situations, the fruit of their faithfulness is carried forward and is passed on to you. This last week, I have... You can pull up that video, Zach. This last week, I've wondered if, if perhaps this year our church... Uh, should participate in a SOAR program. I don't know, just throwing the idea out there. SOAR was originally designed for youth groups to do ministry in North America, so Canada, U.S., Mexico, um, and there's it's, it's 10 days long, locations vary from year to year, Guadalajara, Vancouver, Winnipeg, Montreal, South Texas. Youth groups uh, come together, uh, do local ministry, there's training and, and ministry and assignment for about 10 days, and, and then they head back. This is a, a little video on um, one of the SOAR programs in Canada. A quick word, the, the first person you see in this video is a guy by the name of Ryan F. First time I met Ryan F., he was just kind of this punk 19-year-old kid, and we sent him by himself to, the, um, to work with a missionary in the jungles of Panama, Einar and, and Hirlesa, uh, Einar and Hirlesa. And, um, I mean, he just, it's very unusual to send someone on their own, but he was with the missionaries and just rocked it. I mean, just immediately turned into jungle savage missionary kid uh, and was amazing. When he came back, he, you know, they had a going away ceremony, and so he had body paint, like, all over his torso and arms, and they had, you know, painted him up like jungle warrior. And then he had done the traditional, uh, like, wow nun bull haircut. I, I think, I don't even know if they dyed his hair black. And then it was, just, it was just bowl cut, right? I mean, if he wasn't so white, you would have thought just National Geographic just got off the plane. And, um, and here he is a few years later helping run the SOAR program. So you can run that video. SOAR is a 10-day mission experience where we develop healthy disciples and missional leaders together with the church. We bring people from around the province together for 10 days to grow and to know and to go to grow in our relationship with Jesus, to get to know Him better, to know God's heart for the world, and to go and join God on mission by the power of His Spirit, serving alongside established ministries and agencies in our communities. During a SOAR program, we invite churches, uh, youth groups, family teams to come and serve in our city and our province. We work with established ministries, and these established ministries are experts in their community. 
So we learn from them about what they're doing, how they're doing it, what's working, what isn't working. Uh, but we also have the opportunity to come alongside these established ministries and really help to further the work that they're already doing. And we build relationship with these ministries. So it's not just a one-time thing, but we can go back year after year. And so we actually become significant parts of their ministry work. I'm very thankful for SOAR in the, in the focus that is on growing in our relationship with Christ. Every single person, adults, students, everybody involved, are actually encouraged to grow deeper in their understanding, but also their heart for who God is and their life and offering their heart and their life to God. And part of that happens through times of music and worship, uh, through prayer, through Bible reading. There's a part of the schedule that is actually um, reserved for the leaders of SOAR to gather each team together separately and pray for them and that the encouragement that comes from that is so powerful. I've seen specific things prayed for people that I that I know uh, this is what they're dealing with and this is what's this is what where they're hurting or this is where what they need from God. And I've heard things uh, in that room in that time, that intercession time that just um, hits exactly where, where, where they're struggling. I love to see teenagers grow in their faith, and that's, that's what I'm seeing with SOAR. So why SOAR? First of all, we have been commissioned by Jesus to go out and make disciples, and discipleship is a process, and so SOAR is an intentional environment where we actually do mission together, and you have leaders actually discipling younger people, and uh, the leaders at first are going to say, hey, uh, come, watch me do this then help me, and then you do it, and I'm going to help you, and then I'm going to watch you, and now you're going to take somebody else under your wing. It's intentional. It's disciple-making at its best. In discipleship, we want to see lives transformed, and transformation doesn't just happen when you have a revelation of God. It happens when you have a revelation of something new, and then together in community, you talk about it, you pray about it, you process it, but then you need to practice it, experience it, and walk it out. And that's what you're able to do on a SOAR program, is to walk it out in a safe environment and actually learn how to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Second Peter chapter 3, Peter is wrapping up his letter. Um, he uses the word beloved four different times just in, in chapter 3. Uh, so Peter has developed a deep love for these people. He wants them to succeed. He wants them to do well. But he needs to equip them for the times that they live in. And so he gives them some final encouragement. Peter begins with a warning. In verse 3, he says this, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. We don't use that term much anymore, scoffers. That's kind of a whatever. Um, it basically, it, it means someone who mocks you, uh, that makes fun of you. Uh, they don't really engage in any kind of intelligent debate. They don't really engage in any kind of adult conversation or discussion of ideas or concepts. This is a person who just mocks you, agitates you, um, makes fun of you. And, and we hear about this more often on social media than, than any other place. And Peter says that these people deliberately overlook, meaning they, they're intentionally ignorant, they, they intentionally don't want to pursue truth. Peter then gives a famous line where he writes, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that 
uh, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And so what Peter is telling us about God's character, I mean, he's, he's not trying to drop hints about the end times. He was telling us that, that God is so far outside of time that, that he sees the big picture, really, beyond comparison, but he also sees the detail far beyond our, our comparison. It, I think oftentimes we look at this idea and be like, wow, a thousand years is, is as a day, but, but we forget that the inverse is also mentioned. You know, that, um, that a day is, is as a thousand years. Like there's a level of detail in there that, that we just don't understand. So Peter is offering encouragement just that when we face difficulties and we wonder where is God and why won't God do something and why won't God intervene. And so Peter is encouraging them and, he tell, and he's telling them, basically, God is never late, but, and he will always be on time, but it is according to his timeline, not, not our timeline. And all of it is for this purpose, verse 9, and this is kind of tying things together. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is holding out as long as possible, so that as many people as possible will come to know him. Just just a few more days, just a, a few more weeks, may, may, maybe just a, a few more year or two. Like, like, what is the maximum number of people where we can recreate space so that they have opportunity to say yes to his grace and to his salvation? We know that Paul, before his, his conversion, oversaw the murder of at least one Christian, so that would have been Stephen, so a first martyr in the Bible, early on in the book of Acts. Um, in some of his letters, other letters, Paul admits to putting several other people in prison. Now, we don't know, but it is very possible that actually several people died under Paul, um, you know, before his conversion, just out of his wickedness, his just evil, torturous, murderous ways. And yet, I bet every single one of those people who were martyred under Paul were at the gates of heaven cheering when Paul entered heaven. Cheering because Paul had said yes to the grace of God. Cheering because God had patience to wait for Paul. Someday, you and I will get to meet these people, and we'll be able to ask them questions. And so... When that day comes, I would encourage you to ask them this question. Was your suffering and was your waiting worth it so that Paul could receive God's grace? How many martyred Christians in heaven will watch on earth as their executioners give their life to Christ? And cheer as it happens. Right now, it feels like a lot of our world is a mess, and that, and in many ways, it is nationally, uh, internationally. Uh, there's disasters directly in front of our face. There's other evils that, that seem to be surfacing and popping up um, as kind of a result of this, and it's easy to just want to hunker down and hide. Now is not the time to shrink back. Now is not the time to go silent. Now is the time where we lean in. Now is the time where we press on. Times of turmoil are great times to talk about the peace of Jesus. 
comfort is being disrupted for millions of Americans, and they're not used to it. Other parts of the world, they're used to it, right? But for millions of Americans, not used to it, they're finding it very difficult, and it creates incredible opportunity to talk about Christ. When people are comfortable, when they're stable, when, when they're in an established routine, it's actually harder to talk about Jesus because people don't see their need for a Savior. But in times of turmoil, people begin to realize that peace and hope are not found in this world. And so they begin to look around saying, where else might peace and hope be available? And it makes the true message of the cross just that much more real and attractive. Maybe this year, I don't know, maybe this year, we need to do a 10-day discipleship and mission program to help us grow in our faith and, and tell people about the peace available in Jesus. It's interesting to think that if Jesus thought such an experience was beneficial to Peter, who would go on to be one of the most, you know, remarkable apostles and, and probably lead the other apostles and, and author First Peter and Second Peter and write these profound words uh, of encouragement to the church, that maybe if, if being sent out two by two for a few days or a few weeks was beneficial to him, well, maybe it's good enough for us too. Let's pray, and then we'll conclude. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture. We thank you for the truth that it contains. Lord, we thank you for the profound way that uh, you worked in Taylor's life through this experience in Peru. Lord, I thank you for uh, the involvement and the impact that many people here had in Taylor's life, and then how that then was transferred and used to impact others in Peru. And Lord, I don't know. I do. Do we need to to be embarking on, on something um, as a church more serious this year, as well? Lord, thank you for the way that your church carries on, and the the way that your church is is not dependent upon governments and, and systems and and buildings, but that your church, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will continue on here and around the world, and that we could be, to be a part of that. And Lord, we continue to, to just say, here I am, use me. We want to be available. We, we want to take initiative in being used by you to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, thank you for the opportunity to, to, to impact others. And Lord, may we not grow lazy or, or slothful in that. May we continue to press hard to the end. We love you and we worship you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.